Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We pray that into this church. And we ask that you bless our offering now in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I love it. What a blessing you are to us, Sam. Thank you. <sighs> hey, um, you've done it. I do it. We don't want to do it. That's why we're talking about it. Overreacting. <laughs> uh, we, we all overreact. And I get it. Have you had those moments where like, you've, you've overreacted and you feel... Those junky feelings where it's like, you know what, I've, I've, I've damaged the moment, I've damaged the person, I've damaged my reputation, I regret it, I'm angry for it, I lament it. And then even more challenging for me is, why do I keep doing it? Because <laughs> I just did it last week or the month before or I swore last time that I was never going to get triggered about this thing. <laughs> Will you respond or react? That's what we're going to talk through this morning. That's a one-point sermon, by the way. So uh, you're going to love this one. It's, uh, you know, 60% off this morning. You know, normally it's a three-pointer. 60th sale time towards Christmas. Uh, one-point one sermon. How'd you go with your homework, by the way? Do some of you remember your homework from last week? I'm going to give you a reminder. I'm also going to ask if anyone's brave enough to share how they went in their homework. Because last week I said, I wanted you to practice at home. I wanted you to think about the thing that gets on your nerves, the thing that drives you crazy, the thing that triggers you, the thing that you react to. And before you move into the reaction, I want you to stop and ask yourself, what would amazing look like? And the reason that... I want you to ask what would amazing look like is because we wanted to pr practice and I'm going to get it right this week because I hear that was a running joke in my message last week is I got myself scrambled over underreaction, not under overreaction, but you get my point. Over underreaction rather than overreacting, how do you have an over underreaction, a reaction so in the opposite direction, <laughs> so unexpected, unprecedented that it becomes a story worth telling. And so I'm wondering, did anyone have a story worth telling this morning. Kristen's going to pass the micro microphone around if you're brave enough. Anyone have a story worth telling that they practice their homework with? While you're thinking about it, I'll give you five, five more seconds to think that through. Um, I didn't have an over-under reaction story this week. Uh, so I still have to practice my homework. Um, you can imagine the scene where trying to go out. It's a family lunch yesterday. It's an eight-course degustation for the sister's birthday. Um, Kristen's already smiling because she knows where I'm going with this. Uh, we've got to be out there for 12.30. We're going to drop kids off to the parents. Uh, whilst we're doing this, uh, we're, they've all been on iPads and all the rest of it. They're going crazy. And about right at the time that we've got to leave, um, the kids thought it would be a good idea to share Pez dispensers. If you know a little Pez dispenser, you know, with the hand thing, right? They just want to share some Pez. But instead of loading each of the little canisters into three individual Pezzes and share with each other, they decided on the kitchen bench, when it's time to go, that they were going to pull out every Pez from the three packets and mix them up that way and then load them into the dispensers, which was fine until we started getting broken Pez. 
And then the fights erupted about who was getting the broken pairs and it's not going to work in the dispenser and that's not fair because you've got a full one and I've got a whole one, I've got a broken one. And let's say, let's just say that dad didn't over underreact in that moment. <laughs> right? Yeah, I literally had to leave the house. I walked out, I did a loop around the house. <laughs> over pairs. This is what's so crazy about the overreaction, right? Over pairs. Pez, anyone else? Anyone else have one of those moments this week? Maybe brave enough to put your hand up and say, yes, I had one of those. Anyone brave enough to share their version of the story this morning? Remember, it's a safe place where it's okay. Not, Jamie, I see that hand up there, mate. You're willing to share or are you just saying amen? Okay, we've got, we'll, we'll at least hear Jamie's over-under-reaction story or it could be his overreaction story. Who knows? I'm looking forward to this. I was um, speaking to someone on the phone. Um, yeah. uh, it was a, uh, so, uh, uh, someone who was wanting information from me, and I couldn't give them information because it's a breach of privacy. Yes. And they asked about ten times, <laughs> and I had to. So each time, like I was like, it was a very lovely young uh, young woman. <laughs> But each time I had to keep saying, yeah, no, that, definitely not going to be giving you that information. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, everyone else gives me that information. I'm like, no, no, no you're not going to get that. And so we had that conversation for about five minutes. And it was, yeah. It was and no doubt the, the emotions <laughs> are starting to creep up your neck, I can imagine, by about the 10th time, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was just like, it's just not going to happen. And See? then it was just like, it was hilarious. But uh um, but yeah, I did feel like, yeah, but she, look, she, was, she was really lovely, but yeah, there's no way I was going to give away that information. <laughs> and someone's blessed for it, brother, because you chose to respond rather than react. Can we give Jamie a round of applause? Yeah. <laughs> Jamie got it right. I didn't get it right. And see, my problem's your problem, I reckon. My problem's your problem. And my problem always is when I try to externally place these types of religious maneuvers on my emotions is probably the best way to put it, right? Have you found that? That, you know, we're good at acting the right way and so therefore we figure, we just say to ourselves, I'm never going to do this again and we try and put these religious limits on things which, by the way, you do this if you're not a Christian this morning. So if you're watching in and you're not, you're not yet a Christian, this is not a Christian thing. You don't need to be a person of faith. You're doing this anyway, so this is not a Christian thing. This is a thing thing, right? But, but we always run into issues when we try to externally modify our own behaviours, right? Right? Um, that happened to me as a kid. My, my parents, you know, told me, and I, I don't think we've got any kiddies, too many kiddies in the room. I wasn't allowed to say the word shut up as a kid. That was a rude word. I know it's a rude word. Sorry, okay. Take that from the stream. But I wasn't allowed to say shut up as a kid, right? So, so here's what I did, right? I got so tired of trying to keep it in. I had to run to the back corner of my backyard, which was kind of like running to Egypt as a kid. Like that's the furthest place from home. And I ran to the back corner of the backyard and I stared into a bush and under my breath, making sure that mum or dad weren't watching, I went, shut up, 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 right? Okay. It doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't now, when you grow up, what happens is you think that you're well behaved and then you explode. You explode when someone asks you something 10 times. You explode when the kids want to load a Pez dispenser and you're running late. Stitching this up externally is never going to work. And I'm saying this because the last thing I would want with your homework is that you were trying to stitch this up externally. Because the brilliance of the teaching of Jesus is that Jesus, as we saw in Matthew 5, where he says, here is all the rules. All the rules say, don't say shut up, right? But religious versions of that, the law. And he says, you have heard it said, don't say shut up. 
But I say to you, any little kid that thinks that he needs to run out to the backyard and say that word has got an issue. And we want to sort that out from the inside out. It's why he says in his message, good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart and evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the heart comes the overflow of the mouth. In other words, actions speak louder than words, but responses, your reactions, speak louder than both. You get that? Because our reactions, our reactions are actually really that moment where we can't guard what it is that we are truly thinking and we truly believe. And more importantly, our reactions show to the watching world who it is we really think is in control. And I don't know about you, but my reactions, I, I, I overreact when I'm convinced that things are spinning out of control. Actually, edit that, a better way to say it. I overreact when things are spinning out of my control. <laughs> Have you found that? That's when I overreact, when things are spinning out of my control. And hear the difference? And I think... For me, at the heart of my overreacting, is this principle, when it all boils down to it, no matter how many Bible verses that I've read, no matter how many of my own sermons that I've listened to, no matter how much practice that I've had in terms of practicing over-underreaction, what happens in that moment when I overreact is that I essentially want it my way. Right? We look like these kids that are fighting for toys. We just, we, we want it my way. We feel upset because we didn't get what we wanted. I wanted that. And of course, it's not with blocks, but it's with email agendas, right? At work. I know how you guys work. You know, someone's posturing here and someone's posturing there. It happens with family members because they want it their way and we overreact. And so your choice is, are you going to choosing, choose to choose? And more importantly, how do we come out of, how do we come out of this dynamic where you and I don't turn up next week going, man, I overreacted again. Why did I do that? That's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we come out from under that? And I want to give you a a disturbing, life-changing, life-altering, destiny-determining question that you can take home with you today. One-point sermon, remember? I just want you to take this sermon home and practice asking yourself this question. How would someone in my circumstances react if I was convinced that God was in control of the outcome? How would I react if I was convinced that God was in control of the outcome? Because Jesus invites us into this type of life. That's what makes a Christian different from last week. A Christian is the sort of person that lives a life that is distinctly different to say, I don't control the world. And he wants his people to be different and to have these these under overreactions, these over under reactions. I'm never going to get it right when I preach this message, but you get the point. <laughs> these reactions that are different from the world around them because he says, My people will be a people that are different and full of light and of beauty and of calm. Now, of course, really important, I'm not saying that this is an exercise in making yourself devoid of emotions. Jesus had emotions. We talked about it at Superconnect. Jesus overreacted. Ooh. <laughs> You know, that'll blow up the comments, right? Jesus turned some tables. He had these same sorts of emotions that we do. But it's 
It's the under-overreactions that are the stories worth telling, right? Um, case in point, I was sitting, I was sitting uh, with the leaders of this church that I was with over in Atlanta uh, a couple of weeks ago. They're a mega church. Staff meeting, 600 staff at the staff meeting. Um, grew from four people that decided to go plant a church, from four people to... 600 staff this church grew and I got the insight into what made them a mega church in the first place. Um, Rick there, 2IC, was telling me over dinner that um, in their early days they were having a capital fundraising campaign for their first big building and uh, they'd been working on it. He was the like CFO of the church, had been working on it for months and and they get to the point where it's the big weekend that they're all going to do this and midweek um, the senior pastor, Andy, gets this letter from his friend who's ministering at a black church down in Alabama and said, can you come and help me out? At least just put your name on the letter because my church won't listen to me, but they'll listen to you and we need to raise some funds. Anyway, they get to the fundraising section on Sunday of their big service, all that they've been working to for six months. And in that moment, Andy decides that instead of raising the money for their church to build their building, they raised the money for his friend in Alabama and said, we want to give that money to him in order to help him start and plant his church. And people wrote checks in the tens of thousands. And you can imagine Rick, I'm having dinner with, is like out of his mind at the time because he's like, what the hell are you doing? This was not in the script. What was going on? And Andy's response was profound. He just said to him, Rick, God knows our need. And God will fill that need. <laughs> in other words, he over-under-reacted because he was absolutely convinced that God was in control of the outcome. <laughs> and here we are today, 600 staff. Right? It's the essence of this dynamic. Uh, that is this process in seed form. And so we're getting to the scriptures now because, look, there are multiple stories of underreaction in the scriptures that have been worth telling. In fact, they're so worth telling, we're still telling these stories 2,000 years later. And so we come to probably one of my favorite and one of the most poignant over-underreaction stories that I believe is in the Bible. And you find it back all the way back in the Old Testament in Genesis. I was explaining to my son that this is the Jewish Bible. I said, it's awesome, you get to read two Bibles in one, buddy. You know, you're reading from the same scriptures that Jewish people read from. And so this story, if you know this story of unexpected, unwarranted, over-under-reaction, it happens from this guy called Joseph. And you know Joseph's story, if I can do the bullet points, because I want to get to the Hollywood ending in all of this that I love. But if you know the story of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Joseph is the youngest of a whole bunch of brothers. Oh, he's a really wise guy, because he wakes up and he says to them at the breakfast table, guys, I've had this dream that I'm basically going to be better than all of you, right? which, you know, you think Pez dispensers cause arguments in a family, right? That caused an argument that has him thrown into a hole and he, he's left to die and then he's plucked out of the hole and then he's sold into slavery and then whilst he's in slavery, he goes in and he's such a handsome young man, finally a Bible character I can relate to. Um, he's such a handsome young man that um, his master's wife takes a liking to him and then she accuses him of making a move on her and so he doesn't want to rat her out and he doesn't want to rat his master out because, side note brackets, he was convinced that God was in control of the outcome. And 
And so from that, he then gets thrown into jail. In jail, he has a bunch of dreams. He gets left in jail. This cupbearer who he interprets dreams for goes up into Pharaoh's house. Uh, Joseph is left for two years until that point where the one that's next to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, says, oh, there's this guy that tells really good interpretations of dreams. You should chat to him. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, which says there's going to be great famine. He saves all of Egypt and he gets raised up to the position of prime minister of Egypt. Do you with me? Right. Hollywood story. It's awesome. And this is where we pick the story up because it's one of the most Hollywood style moments in the Bible and one of the great moments of under overreaction because uh, there we have Joseph's brothers now come crawling back in this famine asking for the food that Joseph has stored up for them and says then Joseph said to his brother come closer to me and when they done so he said I am your brother Joseph the one you'd sold into Egypt and now and here's the over underreaction don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for you selling me here, because it was to save lives that, underline class, God sent me here. There was a famine, and I've been sowing, reaping, and I've been doing all this stuff. Verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives and a great deliverance. And so then it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. God was in control of the outcome, even though it felt like he'd left me when I was in jail, even though it felt like he wasn't with me when I was being falsely accused, even though it felt like God had abandoned me, I chose, says Joseph, to believe that God is in control of the outcomes. And then it goes on to say, as we go a bit further down, next one, thanks, Peter. We've got the next one in there? Yep. Then they kind of don't believe him. Father dies, Jacob dies. They're really worried now that he was just faking it and that Joseph's really going to get him. And so they make up a note. Oh, your father left these instructions. This is what you're to say. Oh, please forgive your brothers for the sins and the wrongs they've committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servants of God for your father. And when the message came to them, Joseph wept over underreaction. His brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid over underreaction. Key line, key verse, underline. Write it down in the online forum if you're listening down. Thanks, Kara, as our online host. Don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Am I in the place of God? <laughs> One of history's greatest over-under-reactions that we've ever seen. And why? Why? Because all throughout his life, Joseph responded as if God was always in control of the outcome. He responded as if God was with him when it looked as if God had abandoned him. Right, which is, which you know, the way that you and I think when we come to this, we go, oh, if the Lord was with Joseph and he was a great man of faith, then why would he get sold into slavery? You know, God would have saved him from that. If God, if the God was with Joseph, then he would have protected him in Jesus' name. You know, if you say in Jesus' name, it kind of means that like you really, really mean it, and it kind of as if Jesus is really, really going to work a little bit more if you just say in Jesus' name. I do it all the time. Um, if you're just saying in Jesus' name that God is going to be with Joseph, we just say it really hard, but he still gets sold into slavery, right? Because isn't this the assumption that when God is with you, that then things work out for you? 
which Christian here to this morning can say, look, I love the Lord, Sam, but kind of hasn't worked that way for me in life? Hmm? Yeah. Please understand, Christians don't think like that. Any Christian that thinks like that is not thinking of the God of the Bible. We see this in Joseph's story because God was with Joseph. It's just that luck and justice and good fortune wasn't. Hear the difference? God was with Joseph. It's just that luck and good fortune wasn't with Joseph. And yet, in spite of that, we get one more insight in the posture of Jesus' heart. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. I am I in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And, and Joseph, like many of the biblical characters, you know, Esther and David and the Apostle Paul and all these great characters, you can read a story like this and they all come down to this principle. Ultimately, they are resolved within themselves. Am I in the place of God? And here's the thing, church, like when, when we resolve that and go, oh, I am not in control, but God is in control of the outcomes, then that's what gives us the resource and the power to over-under-react. when we're convinced that he's in control, in that moment that you want to send that email. In that moment where you really want to tell that family member, this is what I really think of you. In that moment that you want to go to the person that slagged you off in front of everyone and ruined your reputation and you want to start spitting out vile stuff towards them. In that moment, you come face to face with that person that triggers you, your mortal enemy. <laughs> you say, am I in the place of God? In fact, what I'm trying to pray now is, Lord, you are in control of the outcomes. In fact, my prayer walk of a morning, when I go into silence and I walk around our little complex, I simply start praying now, Lord, help me to care less about more. Just help me to care less about more. To be present in this day with you. To declare, Lord, what are you up to today and can I be a part of it? And when I step into that and just be present with this, Lord, I just want to do the right next thing in this moment and I trust you with the outcome. And I trust you with the outcome. And so this morning, I told you, one point message. <laughs> This morning, I know for some of you, part of the wrestle, and maybe you're watching in, and maybe you've come back to church this morning for the first time in a little while because you kind of believed in the God that if God is with you, then things work for you, and that he didn't work for you, and so you thought you'd chuck out God and still stay with life. <laughs> maybe this is your last chance this morning because you're going, Sam, it feels like God had abandoned me, and God is not with me, and I can't sense God in all of this, and how is God for me? You know, if that is you this morning, you know, some of you feel like God is not with you. If that is you this morning, I want you to be asking yourself this disturbing, life-changing, destiny-determined question. And the question is this. How would someone in my circumstances react and respond emotionally if they were convinced God was in control of the outcome?
How would someone react with whatever you are going through this morning? Whatever faces you this morning? Whatever is causing you anxiety this morning? Whatever you're worried about this morning? Whatever you're angry about this morning? Can you hand the outcome to God? And let's be real, when we do so, you exercise your superpower, remember? Respond ability. You have the ability to respond and not react. And your response is all of the homework that you've done to answer this question. Exercise that superpower. Use it and you'll be better for it. Use it and you may not be bitter. Use it, you will be better for it. Use it, who knows, maybe the others around you will be better for it. Use it, maybe the world will be better for it. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.